people getting up here and serving the Lord. Man, that's what it's all about. That's wonderful. That was a blessing. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and, and turn to Genesis chapter 14. In your Bibles, we were in Genesis 14 several weeks ago. Uh, some of you remember that. And while we were talking about the king of Salem, and while we were there, uh, maybe even a couple of days later, the Lord began to really speak to my heart from this chapter again. And so I want to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 14 and look, if you will, please, at verse number 8. And i tell you what, I know you're tired tonight. If you want to stand, why don't we stand one last time and let you stretch your legs. And uh, we're not going to be long tonight. I'll try to work my way through this fairly quickly this evening. Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to read a, a considerable part of the scripture because, or the chapter because I want you to get the context here of what's going on. Genesis 14 verse 8, the Bible says, And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Admon, the king of Zoboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. With Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Raphael, king of Shinar, and Ariak, king of Alasar, four kings with five. And the vale, or the valley, the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother, son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. They were citizens of Abram. They lived there with him. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram the Most High of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner and Eskel and Mamre, let them take their portion. And you may be seated tonight. It may seem a little odd that God would give me a, a message like I'm going to bring to you tonight from a passage of Scripture like Genesis chapter 14. But God can use this Scripture to speak to your hearts in a lot of different ways. And as I was reading this the other day, God really began to speak to my heart 
And I want to try to share with you what God laid on my heart tonight. I hope it'll be a blessing. I, I think it will. Let's go to the Lord and ask God to help us, and we'll jump right into the Bible study tonight. Father, we love you, and thank you so much for the privilege to be back at Calvary Baptist Church again tonight. Lord, we've come on purpose. We didn't just come to this place by happenstance. We've come tonight to worship you. And we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I believe we've tried to do that tonight. We've worshiped you in spirit. Now, God, we want to worship you in truth. Thank you, Lord, for the music. Thank you for all that's been offered up from our musicians and the singers and the congregation. Thank you for Emory's special tonight. And Lord, I pray that our hearts have been prepared to receive something from your precious book tonight. Wednesday's a different kind of day. Many and most of our people have worked long and hard. Some started before the sun came up. Lord, they're a little more weary than they normally would be on a Sunday. And so, Father, I pray supernaturally right now that you would breathe upon them and give them the energy they need to listen and learn. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'll knit our hearts together as you've done so many times so faithfully. And I pray that we'll learn a great truth tonight. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray most of all that Jesus will receive honor and praise and glory from all that that's done. Save that one that's nearest hell and encourage that child of God here or, by way, or, or, or watching by way of live stream. Encourage those that are discouraged. We love you and praise you. Thou art so worthy of our praise tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all the Lord's people said, amen. Let me see if I can unpack this story for you just a little bit. Not a story that maybe we read that often. So there's a king by the name of Chedorlaomer that has been taxing several kingdoms for quite some time. We would call it in our modern day vernacular extortion. <laughs> it's really what it is. He's forcing them, these kingdoms, he's forcing them to pay money in order to leave them alone. In other words, he says, you pay me this tax, I won't bother you. And so that's what's going on. And so for 12 long years, these kingdoms have just submitted. And they've paid that tax, they've paid the money. But the Bible tells us in the 13th year, they rebel against that. And because of their refusal to pay, Chedorlaomer comes to make good on his threat. He and his forces come and they attack Sodom and Gomorrah. They attack, and of course this is, long or, or at least sometime before God judges the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he comes and he attacks these cities and several others. He pillages Sodom and Gomorrah. He takes their victuals or their goods and their food and even their personal belongings. And then Chedorlaomer, unbeknownst to him, makes one dreadful mistake. He not only takes all the goods and kidnaps many of the people but he kidnaps a fellow by the name of Lot. Wouldn't be a problem normally unless your uncle's name is Abram. And because of that, he has a major problem on his hands. Word comes to Abram. And the Bible tells us that Abram springs into action to rescue 
his fallen nephew. Look, if you will, at Genesis 14, verse number 14. The Bible says when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, notice what he does. The Bible says he armed his trained servants. I just got to believe these guys are bad to the bone. He trained, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318 of these guys, and pursued them unto Dan. What an interesting story this is. It's interesting for many different reasons, but it's truly interesting because we see an amazing turn of events here in Genesis chapter 14. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Because not many days before this, there is some considerable strife between Lot's workers and those who are loyal to Uncle Abram. You, if you want to, it's just a page back. You can turn back to Genesis chapter 13 and look at verse number 7. Because of Abram, Lot has been generously blessed. God has blessed Abram and and Lot is with Abram. And, And so God sees fit to bless Lot because of Abram. And they become well endowed and, and very increased. In fact, the Bible says they become so increased that the land can hardly hold everything that they have. In Genesis chapter 13, verse number 7, the Bible says, And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And it's interesting, the Bible says, And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Why would the Bible even put that in there? I'll tell you why. Because the world is always watching. The lost are always watching to see how the church responds. And so here were two that represented righteousness. And there was strife. And the Bible says, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Look at verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, Abram says, for we're brethren. We be brethren. Well, you you get the idea here? And so there is contention, there's strife. And Uncle Abram in his maturity and spirituality comes to his nephew and he says, son, you know, people are watching. Let's don't allow there to be strife between us. And we're family. And we represent the Lord. And others are watching. The Canaanite and the Perizzite are watching. And let there be no strife between us. And then we know the story. Abram says to Lot, he says, listen, you choose which direction you want to go. And, and, uh, and you go. And, and, and you'll have my blessing. And we find here that Lot leaves his uncle, I believe, selfishly. You know, to be I, honestly, I believe this. I believe if Lot would have had enough sense to blow the fuzz off of a peanut. I believe that Lot would have said, Uncle Abraham, you just tell me where you want me and that's where I'll go. I'm blessed because of you. I have what I have, the house I have, the tents I have, the livestock I have, the, the, the prosperity that I have. It's because of you and, and you were here long before I were and, and, uh, and God has blessed you. And Uncle Abram, you just tell me what to do and I'll do that. And, and, and of course, I don't want there to be any strife between us. But you know what? That's not what happened. Abram had to come to Lot and he had to say, I pray thee, let there be no strife between us. 
And Lot leaves independently and unwisely, and the Bible says he lifts up his eyes and he looks on the well-watered plains of Sodom. Now, I want you to get the story here. And I know I'm taking a little while for the introduction here, but I want you to understand that it is Lot who turns away from Abram. Not the other way around. It is Lot who turns away from Abram. And by the way, now Lot is living in a place called Sodom. A definite picture of sinfulness and backsliding. If there was wrong committed, and again, I'm going somewhere with this. If there was wrong committed, Lot is the one who did the wrong to Abram, not the other way around. But when Abram hears that Lot has fallen prey, he springs into action to redeem his nephew. And by the way, boy, he goes to great odds to try to win his nephew back. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 14, verse number 14, uh, the Bible says he pursued them unto Dan, which is, which is uh, uh, if you can think about it like this, Israel is sort of a long country and Dan is the northernmost rim of Israel. Abram lives in a place called Mamre, the plain of Mamre. It's down around Hebron or Hebron. Hebron is down south of Jerusalem. And so the Bible says that Abram pursues this enemy all the way from Hebron or the plain of Mamre all the way to the northern rim of Israel, Dan. And so that's a long ways. It's a long ways in a car. It's definitely a long ways on horseback or on a camel. And so he goes to great odds to try to rescue his nephew. By the way, another interesting tidbit here. It's interesting that Lot was actually Abram's nephew, but the Bible refers to him as his brother. Did y'all see that? Look at, your, look at your Bible again, Genesis 14, verse number 14. The Bible says, and Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. You know what, regardless of what people do, regardless of the, the mistakes that they make, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of what they do in their heart. Did you know that, you know what, we ought, to, we ought to count people as brothers at Calvary Baptist Church? Abram, think about this, Abram could have just simply washed his hands of Lot. He could have said, you know what, Lot, you made your bed, you sleep in it, you chose that. You know what, so, too bad, so sad. And uh, he, he could have just washed his hands of him. But Abram didn't do that. And I want to just ask a question tonight. I wonder, is there anybody that you have washed your hands of? Because they mistreated you. Somebody cheated you. Somebody criticized you. Somebody gossiped about you. Somebody treated you in a way that that's not Christ-like. And because of that, you just sort of, you just sort of wrote them off and said, that's it, I'll never witness to them again. I'll never talk to them again. I'll never have, never have anything to do with them again. I think we're seeing a great lesson here that although Abram was the one that was done severely wrong, when, when Lot uh, falls, we find that Abram goes to great lengths to try to save what the Bible calls his brother. Let's talk about it a little bit tonight. I believe Abram teaches us some great lessons that are required in restoring a fallen brother or sister. I think we see him right all here in Genesis chapter 14. How about this? The first thing that we see is supplication. Supplication. If we're going to be successful in restoring the fallen, you know what, church? It's going to be through the resource of prayer. 
It won't be talent. It won't be personality. And some of you have great personalities. And I appreciate that. I, I appreciate your talent. I'm thankful for Emory's talent tonight. Get up here and play the guitar and sing. And those of you who play an instrument, well, we're, we're thankful for that. But we won't reach those that are fallen by way of personality or by way of talent or by way of charisma. If you and I are going to bring the fallen back into the fold, it will be by prayer and by prayer only. Now you say, preacher, where do you find that in Genesis chapter 14? Well, you know what? In this story, it's evident, it is evident that it was God that gave the victory and helped Abram to reclaim his nephew. Look, if you will, Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 19. Here he is, he's just come back from this battle. And the Bible says the king of Salem comes out to meet him. Genesis chapter 14, verse number 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Look at the next line. And blessed be the most high God which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand and he gave him tithes of all. In other words, the king of Salem said, Abram, just remember, it wasn't you that claimed this victory. It was God Almighty that gave you this victory and, and, and God brought the increase. I want you to understand that this wicked pagan king, Chedorlaomer, was fierce. He was a force to be reckoned with. And Abram comes against this great army with 318 of his hillbillies. And you know what? God gives a great victory. Now the idea is this. It wasn't Abram that done it. It was God that did it. And if you and I reclaim those that are fallen, man, if we get those that have have made their way down to Sodom. If we ever get them back in the fellowship, back in the fold again, you know what? It won't be because of you. And by the way, it won't be because of me. It'll be because there's a holy God in heaven that hears and answers our prayers. Listen, it'll only be through the power of prayer. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Philippians chapter four, verse number six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Listen, church, that's all I'm saying. If we're gonna win people to Christ and if we're gonna reconcile those that have fallen away, it will be through the resource of prayer. It'll be because we're crying out to God and asking God to bring the victory. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How many know that oftentimes we act like prayer is our last resort? And I'm, I'm not picking on you. I probably said it myself. But sometimes we'll say, all I know to do is pray. And folks, that's the first thing we ought to do. That's the main thing that we ought to do is pray and take our petitions to the Lord. Why? Because prayer can help us reconcile the fallen. Prayer can help us get the fallen back into the fold again. Supplication, calling out to God, calling their name before the Lord, asking God to bless, asking God to work in their heart. By the way, thank God God's able. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 22 tonight. Luke chapter 22. We'll hit this quickly. Luke chapter number 22. Jesus is about to die on the cross. And he reminds Peter of something. He reminds Peter that Peter's going to stumble. Y'all remember the story? 
He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to stumble. You're going to stumble pretty hard. But he also reminds Peter of this, but I have prayed for thee. Look at Luke 22 and verse number 31. The Bible says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, Peter did fall. Peter did stumble. But may I remind us tonight that about 50 days or so after he denied the Lord, he was preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved and 3,000 people got baptized. Why? Because there's power in prayer. We have a song in our songbook. You know it well. You probably don't even need a songbook. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. There was a fellow by the name of John Newton that wrote that song. John Newton, many people don't know, though lived a wicked, wicked life for 30, over 30 years. He lived a life of wickedness and debauchery. You say, preacher, I wonder what it was that turned John Newton around. Well, John Newton had a mother. And his mother died when John Newton was only six years old. But on her deathbed, she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, make John a preacher. Make him a preacher. You know what? God heard her prayer. And John Newton got born again, became a preacher of the gospel, and wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Number one, supplication. Number two, hear me on this one. Number two is the word spirituality. Would you turn over with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6 tonight? Galatians chapter 6. And look, if you will, please, at verse number 1 tonight. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Not only supplication, but spirituality. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, look at the next phrase. Ye which are what? Ye which are spiritual. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Ye which are spiritual. It's the Greek word pneumaticus. And it means this. You which are non carnal. You which are in the spirit. In other words, if we're going to reclaim those that have fallen, we must be in the spirit. And how many know that when you're in the spirit, it bothers you to see people leave the will of God? Did you know one of the hardest things that I'll, I'll face and now over, over 29, I can't, even, I can't even believe that I'm saying that, over 29 years of pastoring. Man, I'm still a young man. Thank you, Brother Ricky, I appreciate that. 29 years. How in the world can it be 29 years? One of the hardest things that I face as a pastor in 29 years is seeing people come in and then leave the will of God. You say, preacher, why is that? And I'll tell you why. Because we all know where it ends up. And we see people come in this church, and boy, they start doing good, and their kids begin to change, and their marriage begins to improve, and their family does better, and their home has some life. And, and boy, they came in broken, and now they're walking in smiling and holding hands and, and just doing great. And I mean, God is blessing. And then all of a sudden, you know what? You see them begin to sojourn, and you see them begin to, st begin to stray, and you see them begin to swerve, and you see them begin to get out of the will of God. And we know where that's going. I'm going to tell you what, that doesn't go to a good day destination. It only leads to destruction. Amen. 
Oh, listen, this isn't very deep preaching. I'm just telling you, it works to read your Bible. It works to pray. It works to go to church. It just works. You say, preacher, how about explaining all the ins and outs? I can't explain it all, but I'm just telling you, it works, brother. You just stay in there with God and keep on reading your Bible and keep on spending time in prayer and you plant yourself in the house of God and don't you let hell or high water move you away. Because it will ruin you. It'll wreck your kids. How many times in 29 years have people came back to me and said, Preacher, I never thought I'd ever do what I did. Preacher, I never thought I'd ever do something like that. I never thought I would stoop to those levels. How many times have, listen, I just want to help you tonight. You're the backbone of the church. This is just preventive maintenance preaching tonight. How many times in 29 years have people come to me with head down and said, preacher, there's no way I can come back. And I would say, brother, you're welcome. Preacher, there's no way I can come back. There's no way I can show my faith. Now we know what that is. That's a lie of the devil. But they'll say, preacher, there's no way I can show my face. There's no way that church will ever welcome me back. I mean, there's just no way. How many times have they come and say, preacher, my marriage is on the rocks. My family's going to hell. I mean, my home is falling apart. Oh, listen to me. If we're going to restore the fallen, it's going to take some people that are in the spirit and walking with Jesus and, and not carnal, but living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirituality. But I want you to notice something. Coupled with this spirituality is a spirit of meekness. Now look back at your scripture again. Galatians chapter 6 and look at verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, pneumaticus, ye which are not carnal, ye which are in the spirit, restore such in one, here it is, in the spirit of, what's the word? Meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Meekness. Meekness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. You know what? When we get filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God begins to bear His fruit through our lives. And one of the fruits that He bears in a Spirit-filled child... Oh, this is good tonight. Amen. I'm feeling better and better about this as we go. You know what? If you... You say, preacher, how do you know if somebody is filled with the Holy Ghost? I'll tell you how. They'll be meek. They'll have a spirit of meekness. Well, you say, pastor, what is meekness? The word meekness there means gentleness. It means humility. And in context here, this is what the Bible is saying. As you seek to restore the one who has fallen with a spirit of humility, you understand that you are capable of making the same mistake. That's meekness. As you try to pull some people out of the pit, as you go try to rescue some lots, you don't look down your pharisaical nose at them and say, you dirty, rotten Christian. Let me tell you something, church. Let me help us tonight. Let me help us tonight. 
We got new folks coming to this church all the time and visitors coming in all the time. And if we have folk come in this church and they have that kind of a spirit, it is not the spirit of Christ. Because if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll have a spirit of meekness. Rather than criticize, hear me out, rather than criticize the Christian who fell hard, it'll make you cringe realizing you can fall just as hard. Well, that's the truth if I ever told it right there. Well, you say, preacher, I'll have you know. I'll never fall. And I'll have you know you're on thin ice. You're living in dangerous territory. If you ever get to the place where you believe that you're above falling into sin. Some of you probably know, I won't mention names, but some of you probably know who I'm talking about. A number of, a number of years ago, I mean, it's been a good, a good, good while ago now, there was a well-known preacher, very well-known, that fell into sin, and he fell hard. It was moral, immoral, I should say. It was all over the news. He was well-known. He was very famous among religious circles and even out of religious circles. And it came to knowledge that this man was involved in some immorality, and boy, it was all over the newscast, and they began to interview different people. And I'll never forget, there was another well-known preacher who came out at the same time and they began to interview him and he began to call this other preacher that failed, he began, if I remember right, he began to call them a bunch of snakes. A bunch of snakes. Those bunch of immoral people down there who would do stuff like that and boy, he just criticized them up one way and down the other. By the way, it was just a few months later. There was another headline. But it wasn't about the first preacher. It was about the second preacher. And if anything, his sin was worse than the preacher that he criticized. Now, again, church, let me, let me give you some scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world, ends of the worlds are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Isn't it something that when preachers fall, people have a tendency to criticize more harshly? We have politicians that are involved in immorality right now. But the newscasts say that's no reason for him to leave the race. You say, preacher, I don't think y'all say that. Too late, done said it. Wait a minute now. Uh, and, and sometimes people want to criticize. Listen, I, I just said that, say this, that if you want to get on that bandwagon, you'll get on it without me. Because when I hear of a good man of God falling, I'm going to tell you what I do. I go, oh, Lord. Oh, God. Help me not to stumble. I'm not above that man. I'm made out of the same stuff he's made out of. Lord, help me not to stumble. A spirit of meekness. 
I'm so thankful that as a, as a young man I was taught this. I'm taught that as a boy. I can remember just a boy, I mean probably 10, 11 years old maybe. We had a couple in our church that had fallen in, into some immoral sin. It had come out into the church. It was known in the church. It was, it was a mess. It was a scandal. Our faithful preacher was doing his best to try to handle it in a Christ-like way, and, but there was chatter. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I'll never forget as a boy sitting in the living room at our home and my, my dad got home from work and, and dad and mom were in the kitchen and I, I'm sure they felt like I was probably out of earshot from what they were talking about and they were talking about this situation in the church and as a boy, my ears perked. And I heard them talking and this is what I heard my daddy say and this has been years and years ago, decades ago. I've never forgot it. And I heard my dad say to my mom, were it not for the grace of God, we would be in the same place. Isn't it how something that God will take something and indelibly implant it on your mind? And I've never forgot that. Supplication, spirituality that's coupled with a spirit of meekness. Let's bring this thing to a close. Last of all, we're done. How about this last thing is sympathy. You know what I, I think? I think this is, this is Abram's one last, and I think he knew it. This is Abram's one last attempt to try to pull Lot out of the fire. The Bible tells us in Jude 1, in verse 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Sympathy. If we're going to pull people out of the fire, if we're going to restore our brothers and sisters uh, we're going to have to have some sympathy. And sympathy says this, I know they deserve what they get, but I want to see something better for them. Amen. Now we're done, but I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, and I think we see this exemplified in the story of the prodigal son's father. Luke chapter 15, and look if you will please at verse number 18. Luke 15, verse 18, this father's been so abused, so mistreated. He has a son that's been so ungrateful. Verse 18, the son has made his way to the, to the hog pen. And he says in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose. And came to his father. And his father said, son, you are not welcome in this house. You deserve what you get. Is that what your Bible says? No. And he arose and came to his father, but <laughs> when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Man, isn't that a great, great story? Sympathy, compassion. 
God brought this story to my mind. I have not told this story in years. A young man had godly parents. He decided to rebel and to live a wicked life. He broke his parents' heart, drug their name through the mud for years and years. And they were disappointed, but they still loved. Finally, one day, this young man decided to get his life straightened out and gave his heart to Christ. One of the first things he wanted to do was he wanted to see his mom and dad. Hadn't seen them in years and years. And so he wrote a letter to his mom and dad, and he got on a train and began to make his way to, to their home. He was seated beside a businessman-type fella, and they were getting a little bit closer to his home. And the closer they became, the more disturbed physically even, physically and emotionally, the young man became disturbed. And the, and the passenger saw it and he said, young man, are you okay? And, and, and the young man began to confide in him. He told him the story. He said, sir, he said, years and years ago, he said, I broke my mom and dad's heart, drug their name through the mud. He said, I've caused so much reproach to them. My little mama, he said, I've just about given her a nervous breakdown. He said, I haven't seen him for years. He said, I've lived a wicked, wicked life. But he said, I came to Christ. Got my life straightened out. He said, I wrote my mom and dad a letter. And I said, Mom, Dad, I've come to Jesus. And Mom and Dad, I want to get my life straightened out. And one of the first things I want to do, I want to come home. And he said, Mom and Dad, in this letter, he said, Mom and Dad, he said, if, if you'll forgive me, and if I'm welcome home, he said, there's a tree right there by the by the railroad track, and he said, if you'll just tie a big white rag in that tree, and he said, when I come in the, on the train, he said, if I see that, that white rag, he said, I'll know I'm forgiven. I can come home. I'm welcome. But if I don't see that rag, he said, I'll keep going. They got closer and closer, and finally the young man couldn't look at all. He just put his head down, and, and he said, sir, he said, would you... He said, I can't stand to look. He said, would you look for me? And they got closer and closer to that place, and all of a sudden that man reached over, and he grabbed the the leg of that young man, he said, son, I don't think you've got anything to worry about. He said, it looks like a snowstorm has hit your house. That young man looked up and that tree where that rag was supposed to be hanging, it looked like almost every single branch, almost every single branch had a white rag hanging in it. He looked at that fence that went down the yard and on every post of the fence was, a, was hanging a, a white rag. And, and then he looked and there were two old gray-headed parents, mom and dad, that had a big old white linen sheet standing in the yard and they were shaking that sheet as if to say, you're forgiven, come home, you're, you're forgiven. Hey, Calvary, this is all I'm saying. If there is a church in Iredell County, let it be Calvary Baptist Church in Union Grove that waves that white sheet and says, hey, come on home. Come on home. Come on home. Well, preacher, I've messed up. Yeah, but you're welcome. Get back in the, get back in the fight again. Start serving the Lord again. God still has something that he wants for you to do. Boy, aren't you glad God's a God of forgiveness and God's a God of restoration. I wonder who is it tonight that we need to reach. I wonder who the lot is in our life that we need to try to restore. You say, but preacher, you don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they did to me. I wonder who it is. 
that we need to reach out to and say, listen, all's forgiven. Man, get back in the work of God again. Jesus is waiting. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? Father, thank you for this simple Bible study tonight. Lord, if there is a church, and let, let, me, and let me pray this first. God, help this church to be a church of righteousness and a church of holiness and integrity. But Lord, may we couple that with a spirit of compassion. And Father, when fallen people walk into these doors, God, may we be waving that white sheet and saying, you're welcome. Jesus wants to do something great in your life. God, help us to be that church. Father, maybe there's someone here tonight and there's a lot in their life. There's a brother or a sister. There's a child in their life that maybe hurt them or disappointed them. And God, I pray tonight that you would Give them the wherewithal to reach them for the cause of Jesus. Father, have your way in the invitation. Speak to hearts, I pray. And we sure thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed tonight. We're not going to prolong the invitation, but if God has spoke to your heart, if God has laid a lot on your heart tonight, I wonder maybe if you just tiptoe down to this altar and breathe their name before the Lord. Hey, teenager, realistically, there are some lots that I cannot reach that you can. I'm talking about some young people or some teenagers that have fallen away from the things of the Lord. And although pastor may not be able to, I may not be able to get them back it could be that God would use a younger person to bring them back to the faith again. Let's just take a moment. Time's not late at all. Let's just take a moment tonight and listen to the Lord and, and you pray for these that are in the altar tonight. And if you need to come, the altar's open. I'm going to make my way to the main floor just in case there may be somebody here that has a need. And if we can pray with you about a specific need tonight, we'd be glad to do that. All right? You come while we pray.